Welcome to the Biz Bros Podcast. My name is Kyle Nelson. I've got my co-host here, Eli Libby. And as always, we got another episode for you with a really cool guest, someone that has some great stories, some great successes. Um, we're going to learn a little about bootstrapping, kind of how to build a, a build a company. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be digital. Sometimes it's uh, something like a um, landscaping business, and then sometimes we go digital, and it's going to be a really good conversation. So we have Brian Clayton, CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, which is an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. It's been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine. It has over 100,000 active users with doing thousands of transactions per day. It is insanely huge in its uh, category, and uh, he founded Peachtree, which had a $10 million annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. So we are very excited to have Brian here on the podcast. Brian, yes. welcome to the Biz Rose Podcast. Kyle, Eli, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Brian. Well, how's your morning going so far? Oh, it's going good. Going real good. I had a uh, getting just warm enough here in Nashville where I live to get cool. in the pool, so I did a nice swim oh. this morning. Feeling oh. great. Man. Feeling wow. pumped up for our interview. Oh, swimming Wait, already what? here in Central Oregon. <laughs> swimming is not a yeah, thing right now. Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, awesome. Well, uh, I know we talked a little bit about our pre-show, but at some point we'll be coming out to Nashville, so we definitely want to sync up. Yeah, we'll definitely sync up. We got some yeah. buddies out there and some business kind yeah. of associates that we got to meet up with. So we'll definitely reach out. Awesome. Hell yeah. Well, let's jump in, guys. Let's do it. So, so Brian. No, go ahead. Go. No, go no, for it. Step on my toes. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> Brian, tell us a little bit about kind of how you first got that first fire with entrepreneurship, how you first got started and what kind of pushed you to start GreenPal. Yeah. So, uh, right now, I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which is a mobile app that works kind of like Uber, but for lawn mowing. So, if you're a homeowner and you need to get your grass cut, Rather than calling around on Craigslist or Yelp or Facebook to get a good lawn mowing service, you just download our app. You'll get quotes back in less than a minute. You can hire the lawn service you want to work with. And it all just kind of happens right through the app. I've uh, wow. been at this business for eight years. We're an eight-year overnight success. Uh, and and uh, yeah. uh, we're doing uh, uh, around 200,000 people using the app, doing $20 million a year in revenue. But it started off really slow, really humbly, and we just kind of stuck it out and and just grew it little by little uh, each year. And uh, you know, luckily, uh, I was naive when I started the business, and I didn't know what I didn't know because if if I knew how hard it was going to be, I never would have gotten started. <laughs> but <laughs> but before starting GreenPal, I actually like you said, had a landscaping business. Uh, I, I started cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash. And I mowed yards all through high school, all through college, and little by little grew this little lawn mowing business that I had into into a real landscaping company. And uh, over, over 150 employees, over $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, the business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping uh, companies in the United States. And so I kind of took everything I learned in the lawn mowing business over a 15 year yeah. period of time and then plowed it all in the green pal, which is kind of like the, the app that makes the whole industry run right. smoother. Wow. I literally, the second you start explaining yes. to, to me about it, yeah. I'm like, okay, everyone in central Oregon's mm -hmm. starting their irrigation. Like I need this. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so quick question about green pal. Is it more like one-time transactional or do people kind of sign up for a subscription model with different lawn care providers and, and your company is a little bit of both. How does that work? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, we're in the business of of introducing you to the best lawn mowing service that's in your neighborhood to come cut your grass at the best possible price. And okay. then after that introduction happens, then we're in the business of making that whole uh, relationship run very smooth. And so GreenPal is there to power that entire relationship moving forward. And so and, and, and when it comes to lawn mowing, you wouldn't think like it, it's, it'd be a pain in the butt, but it actually is like these these folks are are uh, busy their equipment breaks down um sometimes they come and go in and out of the business and so there's this mysterious like case of the disappearing lawn guy and our app helps uh eliminate that and prevent that from happening so okay. as a homeowner when you download the app you get right. quotes you hire somebody to come out and mow it for you and then you set it up for the entire year if you liked uh how they did for you on the first mowing you set it up for the whole season and it just kind of happens in the background you don't have to worry about it anymore Wow, that's cool. So do just more questions about the app. Do the quotes basically happen based on the size of your lawn or how much work essentially that they would be doing? Great question. So one of the pains in one of the pains for a homeowner in getting a lawn mowing service to come cut your grass is getting the pricing. And so mm -hmm. uh, let's say you call f uh, four or five different lawn care services, maybe one will call you back and then they have to come out and look at it and uh, you have to meet with them and kind of haggle over the price and what's included in that price. And so our, our app, our platform streamlines that entire experience. So as, as a, the vendor, as the lawn care service, let's say you sign up, I am then presented with all sorts of data about your property. How many square feet is your lot? Uh, aerial imagery, street view imagery. Uh, when was the last time you got it mowed? What your service expectations are? All of these, all of this data I now have in the palm of my hand where I can very quickly enter a quote in terms of how much it's going to cost for, for, for each lawn mowing. Then wow. as the homeowner, you get four or five quotes back in less than a couple of minutes. And you can then compare them based on, okay, this is what this person is going to charge. This is what this person is going to charge. But, and then you can compare their reviews and then also other data about their business in terms of how often they show up on time, uh, how often they get booked for a second lawn mowing. Uh, wow. And then you can make the best decision uh, in terms of who's the best fit for your, your lawn mowing in, in your neighborhood. Wow. That's, that is very cool. That's amazing. Wow. So, so what was the, um, the moment of, of like, what was what was the aha moment for you after you sold your landscaping business? What was like, oh my gosh, there's no Uber for lawn care yet. Like, what, what, how did that happen? So it was kind of a personal growth uh, period for me. Um, when I sold the business, I'd been running this company for 15 years, and and uh, there was like almost a melancholy period. Like I I didn't have this. I had this like personal identity crisis where I no longer had this thing that uh, a lot of my purpose and a lot of my, my, my personal identity was wrapped up in. And so I kind of went through a growth period. And I understood a lot about myself and learned about a lot about myself in that period where it's like, okay, I'm wired to love business. I'm wired to be in the game. I want to be a part of something that's growing and prospering. And I want to build a team of people that are smarter than me. And, and so all of these things like were now long, now no longer in my life. And so I thought, okay, it's time to start the next business. Right. And and this time I could kind of do it on my own terms because selling the first company, I was I was able to effectively retire. I didn't have to work anymore. But mm -hmm. this time I wanted to do something that was challenging, something that was unique and new. And I wanted to invent something. And uh, and like I mentioned earlier, luckily, I was naive as to how difficult that was going to be. But uh, that naivete got me in the game and I recruited two co-founders. And and uh, I thought, you know, an, an app needs to exist for the industry I just spent the last 15 years of my life. Mm -hmm. in. It, it, it is just too difficult to get hooked up with a good service provider. And as a service provider, 
as a lawn mowing uh, service operator, it's really hard to to do things like get new customers, bookkeeping, get paid on time, scheduling, mm -hmm. organizing your routes. And so I knew an app needed to exist to make all these things happen smoothly. And uh, so we recruited two co-founders. We just went to work and we, we started building out the first version. We launched it in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. And, and we spent four years just in Nashville wow. trying to perfect and make it consistently uh, delightful for both sides of the marketplace and, and really figure out the wants and desires of each side of the transaction and strike mm -hmm. that balance between the two. And it was difficult, but uh, we just stuck with it and, and celebrated the small wins along the way. And, and it was kind of a snowball. It got right. bigger and bigger and bigger. And here we are eight years in and we're profitable and we got a good team right. on, you know, working on the product. And, and now it's actually starting to get fun. Whew. Wow. What a cool story. Did you have growing up, did you have entrepreneurial roots within your family or did that just come? What, what sparked your entrepreneurial roots to mow lawns at an early age? You know, I don't think, uh, I, I, I got it by way of like DNA, um, but uh, I think I was dragged into entrepreneurship kicking and screaming by my father who uh, got tired of me um, asking him for money uh, to buy a new pair of soccer cleats. And he said, I'll tell you what, <laughs> i tell you what, the neighbor actually told me the other day he needs somebody to cut his grass. So you can just go mow the neighbor's yard. And he made me go mow the neighbor's yard. Uh, I was like 15 years old. And luckily he did because that stuck with me. I was like, holy man, holy yeah. crap, I can I can do this and make 20 bucks. I don't have to beg my parents for money anymore. This is awesome. And, uh, and so I remember the first thing I, I did after I got paid for that first grass cutting is I went back to my old school desktop computer and on like uh, Microsoft Word, I printed up some bunch of flyers and, and passed out a bunch of flyers all over the neighborhood and, and had like 10 customers that first summer, 15 years old, making, you know, three or $400 a week. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I have a super similar story too. When I was 15, I started doing weed whacking because we had weed abatement in our uh, HOA that we lived in. And so I was like, <clears throat> these guys are paying like professionals 200 bucks a piece. Let me see if I can get it for 75. And as a 15 year old, 75 bucks is like game changing. Oh, yeah. You're like, what? Absolutely. And I just started, did, did the whole Microsoft Word thing too. And it's cool because at an early age, if you understand the value of a dollar and what it takes to make one mm. rather than waiting till you're older, I think it's really important. And I feel like that's kind of where the ball starts turning for a lot of entrepreneurs. Oh, it's kind yeah. of like when it's, when it's in, when you get the trigger, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, it, you see that it's very transactional for the dollar. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that's cool. I hear that. I hear that a lot, you know, talking with other entrepreneurs, doing interviews and, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, my first business was a lawn mowing business. I, I started, I was mowing grass in high yeah. school and, and you hear that a lot. And I think the lawn care industry uh, is a great kind of gateway drug to right. owning your own business. If you can oh, make it, if you can make a living cutting grass, uh, then you can usually start a business in most anything else because you learn a lot of principles and fundamentals in the lawn mowing business. For instance, self-reliance. You learn that if it's going to be, it's up to me. And the lawn mowing business teaches you that. You got to get up an extra hour early every morning to sharpen your blades and, and change the oil and clean out the lawnmower deck. And you've got to return customer phone calls quickly. And you got to do a good job. You got to learn pricing and you got to learn bookkeeping. You got you to learn all of these things that really apply to every business. Mm -hmm. Lawn mowing business is a great way to cut your teeth on, on entrepreneurship. Oh, wow. That's that. awesome. I love the last analogy, cutting your teeth. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so I know that a, a big part of the topic of today's podcast is about bootstrapping. And from an early start with GreenPow, you did bootstrap the company, correct? 
Yes, both businesses uh, I, we self-funded off their own revenues. Very cool. And to our listeners, can you talk a little bit about bootstrapping and why you think it's so important and why you maybe chose to go down that route versus getting investors? I think that for most most entrepreneurs starting a startup, raising outside capital is a bad bet for most mm-hmm. for most business for most entrepreneurs getting started. Um, when you raise capital, it forces you to a binary outcome of either hitting a grand slam or striking out. Mm-hmm. And and the rea- the reality is is that the the odds of you hitting that grand slam are probably one in a hundred. Right. And so you you potentially can waste you know five six years a decade of your life building something that that if you had just bootstrapped it you might have had a, a ten million dollar business but because you you put rocket fuel behind it in terms of venture capital. It kind of, it kind of, it's almost like attaching uh, rocket boosters to the side of a barn, mm. and you go too fast, too quickly, and it blows apart. So that that's what I see just as an as an observer of startups, and I really didn't want to do that. I I really wanted to take a pragmatic, um, consistent, slow and low approach to building the business, and I knew that if we funded it off of its own revenues, that we would never get like too far ahead of our skis. We would never get to a point where we were we were just going to crash and burn. Um, but on the other hand, it makes it it's 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 really difficult to self fund a business, particularly a tech product and 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 a marketplace like we've built. It's really really hard. It, it you know I didn't take a paycheck for like the first five years, and mm-hmm. and my co-founders worked nights and weekends and still mm-hmm. kept their day jobs. So it it very much requires like a level of conviction and and uh, like a belief and a fire oh. in your belly to see make it happen. But but if you fund the business off of its own revenues, like revenues are the best form of financing because it it crystallizes your thinking and like it makes it really really hard to like focus on things that don't matter. And you can always like be if you're funding funding the business off of its own revenues, you always revert back to the customer and you always revert back to solving their problem. And so it kind of is like this course correcting thing that that can almost be a benefit. And, and 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 another thing I've noticed is that like necessity is the mother of invention, and and so if you don't have a bunch of capital mm-hmm. and you have to like fund the business that made you know oh we only made four grand last month, mm-hmm. you have to be really 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 clear with yeah. where you spend that four grand, and uh, and you, you got to get crafty. You got to think of unique ways to solve problems for your customers and unique growth hacks and unique like product driven growth ideas rather than like taking a million dollars and giving it to Facebook and Google. Right. You have to really take that take that money that you're making and, and be be crafty with it. So that now now that said, if you look at your phone, the home screen on your phone, including the phone, you know, mm-hmm. every one of those companies apps were venture backed. And so right. and so it's like it's it's not it's not or you 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 know, it's like they both both paths work. Yeah. My experience is that the probability of success, if you go uh, venture backed, it, it, it's almost like less so than if you if you just take the hard approach of, yeah. of funding it yourself. Right. Wow. All amazing I, points. I, I feel like agree with yeah, them to yeah, a T. Hundred percent. I feel like uh, bootstrapping is very, um, you know, where every penny's going, and it's more like passion infused. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are on every single portion of your business. Yep. You're running and fueling it by yourself or your co-founder or your team executives versus, you know, getting, you know, some investment money. You're obviously 
you're then sprinting for the investor. But if there's a couple bad months at the end of the day, you still got a big old bank account full yep. of money and you're not too worried about it. Whereas when it's revenue based mm -hmm. and bootstrapped, you're like, shit, that was a $4,000 month. Our overhead 40,000. Yeah. Let's rethink. Let's recalibrate. What yep. are we doing here? Obviously it's not working. Let's see what worked in the past. So we love, I mean, everything we've done is bootstrapped and yeah. um, we're, we're right there in the same thought process. I think two things that come to my head are bootstrapping, like you said, revenue is king. So it, it, it forces you to, to make sales your number one priority. Mm. If you can't sell, then get out of business. I think that's one part. Two, I do think investors kind of shield what could be a bad month, kind of like right. what you said. But I always think of investors as hitchhikers with credit cards. <laughs> they can jump yeah. in the car. They'll pay for the, if you're taking them the way that they want to go, they'll pay for the gas, they'll pay for everything, they'll pay for the food. But if you're not doing what they want to do, they'll kick you out, steal your car, and right. go. So yeah, absolutely. And it's particularly like in the early days when you're trying to find product market fit and you, you get sidetracked and you build a product that investors love and not one that customers love. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's a recipe for disaster. And totally. it's kind of zooming out and taking inventory. Like you look at Y Combinator, yep. these, these guys are the like right. NFL of the NFL of seed investors and you know, everything from Stripe, Instacart, DoorDash, uh, Dropbox, Reddit, Airbnb. Like you think of oh. like, there's like, there's, 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 there's 20 or 30 or 40 of mm. those household names that have come out of Y Combinator. I, I literally, mm. let's just say 50. But on the other hand, Y Combinator has funded over 4,000 startups in 15 years. And so you look at like, okay, there's 50 that matter, but there were 4,000 teams, 4,000 entrepreneurs, 4,000, you know, 4,000, uh, you know, founders with a dream that, that didn't have a, a successful outcome. And so just, just those dynamics are, are sobering. And uh, there was probably a lot of businesses in that 4,000 Right. That if they had bootstrapped, they might have had a, a an eight figure outcome. And so, mm. my my point is is that if you have a business that you're ready to to, to get rocket fuel, then go then go raise the capital. But if you're in search of like a product market fit, you know it it can it can accelerate uh, a a negative outcome more so than it can help increase your chances of success. And right. so that's why I offer it as kind of like a uh, a counter narrative to the popular narrative of, okay, I'm a tech, tech founder. Let's go get a pitch deck. Let's go raise a seed round and then, and then start off on that path that everybody does. Like you don't have to do that. I agree. Absolutely. And I think like, like what you said, you know, when you need the fuel, I mean, you can start boot mm -hmm. grind for four years. And then when your company is in the position of getting that funding, yeah. you know, it's all about calculated risk and the, mm -hmm. the appropriate time frame of actually getting it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem with a lot of young startups is they just like, Oh, I've got a pitch deck. I haven't even brought it to market yet. I haven't even built it yet, but I'm going to go start pitching it. And they don't know yeah. what to do with the money. It's like mm -hmm. at that point, it's just like, well, you're just kind of rolling dice, hoping that you're going to get you know, yeah. a couple doubles. It's just not going to happen. 100%. I think that just comes back to today's society and things people want instant gratification. So they're right, exactly. trying to think that they're going to be you know, the next Instagram. So they're going to go out and raise capital before they even think about the business plan. But I think really most true gridded entrepreneurs, they want to be self-made. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think well, Absolutely. as soon as you take investment, to me, that kind of dilutes that theory of being self-made right. personally. I mean, I know it's great and it's worked for a lot of people, but I think our DNA is a little bit different. I think a lot of, a lot of 
this new kind of tech startup entrepreneur and, 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 and basically entrepreneur in general is they won't start the business unless they can raise the capital. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of a, a backwards way of thinking. Like you should be working on this thing, getting it as close from zero to one as you can, like nights and weekends. Like when you wake up in the morning and, and you're in the shower, it should be on your mind. When your head hits the pillow, it should be on your mind. Like it's seven days a week. You're trying to figure out how to breathe life into this idea. And then if you want to raise capital, cool, that's part of it. But like raising capital is not the thing that decides whether you go all in or not. You should have done that well before that. 100%. I think it comes back to the point I made earlier about making a sale. If you can't yeah. make a sale, then why are you even trying to go after You should thing? be Get sprinting. Get validation yeah. first and then go. Exactly. You should be that's sprinting. Right. You should be sprinting before the before the pitch. Exactly. Right. You shouldn't be sprinting. You shouldn't be sprinting like to build a pitch. You right. should be sitting with your company and as you're going, build the pit. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. Boost Absolutely. Traffic. Let's talk a little bit about exiting companies. So you've done that once or twice, correct? Yeah. So my first business, uh, Peachtree, I was I built it to eight figures in revenue and, and got it sold, which doesn't happen a lot in the, the landscaping industry. Right. Yeah. And uh, that was something that I learned a lot of lessons along the way uh, doing, you know, if, if you're going to whether you have like a, a uh, lifestyle business and, you know, you have dreams of selling it one day, you know, ideally you, you work a five-year plan and, and you, you build the business to sell. In fact, there's a great book called Built to Sell uh, yeah. that, that every entrepreneur that has dreams of selling their business needs to read because it talks about how to build the systems inside of the business to where it could be acquired. Mm -hmm. And it was not one that I did uh, correctly out of the gate. I, you know, I, I kind of had to re reverse engineer a lot of these things into my company uh, in a very short period of time. Whereas right. if I had worked a five-year plan, I, I probably could have had double the outcome that I had. At the conception of Peachtree, did you have the idea to have it be sold? Like when you started it, were you like, I'm going to get out of this business. I'm building it to sell and get acquired. Or is this something that just kind of came about? Mm -hmm. Somebody approached you. So definitely the, definitely not uh, something that I plan on doing day one. Uh, you know, as, as, as you run a business and as you grow a business from scratch, you know, your purpose and your why and why you're doing what you're doing should kind of evolve. And I think mm -hmm. if you're doing business right, you as a person should like completely reinvent yourself every five years or so. And so for me, like in the early days of starting my landscaping company, you know, I just want to make some cash. And then, and then two or three years went by and I, and, and I was making good money. And then I thought, man, I, I'm good at this and, and I'm working my ass off, but, but, but it's actually working. And then I thought, okay, I had a chip on my shoulders. Like I just want to build the biggest, most mm. successful, most profitable, landscaping firm in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I, I made like a five-year plan to, to, to do that and, and worked seven days a week for, for five years. And, and before I knew it, I had like 75 employees and $5 million a year in revenue and just kept grinding on that. And then after that, like the, the, the reason why I was doing it was, wow, this is actually fun. And there's like 50, 60, a hundred people that work here. And I'm, and now I'm responsible for, for their livelihood and I'm responsible for, for their success in life. And if I screw this up, then, uh, then they're not going to have opportunities. And so like the, the, the meaning of, of running the company took on a new, a new evolved to a new, uh, a new level. And then, uh, and then after I, I realized I wanted to sell the business, it was because of my personal development. Like I realized, okay, I've taken this thing as far as I can. I've ran it 15 years. Uh, we're, 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 we're like number 
one and and most every aspect of the of our little market here and it's not that i've like conquered the world but i was ready to do something different and yeah. uh and so i from the time i made that decision to sell the company mm. to the time that i got the business sold was over two years and a lot of it was reverse engineering a lot of things into the business like fixing a lot of the processes like cleaning up a lot of the accounting and if mm. i had had a five-year plan that i proactively worked it would have been a lot smoother transition and, and I, and I ultimately would have gotten more, a lot more for the company. Wow. Wow. Crazy. So to kind of summarize that, if you were to give uh, a message just from what you just said within there for somebody that is looking to exit, what would you, what message would you leave them now that you've gone through that experience? Is it setting that five-year plan? Is it setting kind of a goal for that five years or what, what do you think you would leave the audience with in terms of that last part you just talked about? Yeah, uh, examine examine the the M and A activity in your industry. So if you're building a SaaS product, or you're in a, you know you run a landscaping company like I had, or you've got a coffee shop or a construction business, whatever it is, don't just believe that no matter what business you have, it is, that it is sellable. Because the reality is, is like it's probably not. Right. And 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 the reality is, is, is you probably don't even have a business. You probably are self employed. Right. And so there's a difference between the two. So take inventory of, of those two things. You read the book Built to Sell. Uh, read another book called The Cash Flow Quadrant by um, Robert. Uh, yeah, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, there's a name slipped my mind. Um, <laughs> read those two books and 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 really identify the difference between being self-employed and having a business. Once you understand that, then that kind of can frame how you're going to approach this. And, and then take inventory of the M&A activity that's happened in the last decade in your industry and look at what those targets might be. Okay, well, this company was doing 5 million a year revenue or this company is doing 50 million a year in revenue and look at those targets and then figure out how you're going to get your business there hmm. and, we're, and then lay out a five-year plan to get your business kind of in the same shape as some of these other acquisitions because if you're too small, you won't be acquired. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then work with a broker uh, or an investment banker that is like focused on your niche, your industry. And it's okay. These folks will talk to you well before you're ready because they know that there's a long nurturing process for the, for this stuff. And they have, you know, a hundred people moving through the pipe. And, and right. so uh, it's okay. Like reach out to them now and then develop a plan that might take a minimum of two years, but probably more like five right. to proactively work. And then when it comes time to ready to, to do the outbound, do, do the, the, the outreach for, for M&A, you're, you're ready. And, and, and it'll just be a much smoother process than if you just kind of like battering ram your way through it. Oh, I think that's a great, yeah. I mean, reverse engineering is the key, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you say, okay, I need this business to be 1 million in revenue. I'm at 100,000 right now. Okay, let's work backwards. Yeah, so, right. I totally agree. Brian, did you, uh, did you have a, a mentor as you went through this? I think where I'm getting at is you set this five-year plan. Did you tell anybody about that or maybe a mentor that helped you stay accountable to the, that, that goal? You know, I think the idea of like go out and get a mentor is great. Yeah. But in 20, year, 20 years of business, I have never really been mm -hmm. able to get mentorship from, from somebody who has done what it is I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the first piece of advice. Like Mark Cuban says, never take advice from anybody who has not done or who is doing what it is you're trying to do. Like there's a million yep. right. like, uh, life coaches, business coaches, success oh. coaches. And you really like look under the hood. They haven't done shit. And so it's right. like, that's horrible. 
horrible, horrible oh. advice. And not only that, you're paying for it. So it's like, be like really like cautious about how you enter like a mentor mentee relationship. Um, because a lot of times like it can steer you the wrong way. And, and so for me, like what's worked for me for 20 years of business, I have mentors, but they never met me. I've never met them. And so it's like, I read every book I can. I, I listen to every podcast I can. I, I watch everything on YouTube that I can. And it's like, there are people who have built nine figure businesses, billion dollar businesses who, who are, who are giving the, like the playbook and I am consuming that and they are mentoring me, but it's asynchronous. It's not like I'm hitting them up on LinkedIn. Hey, I want to pick your brain. Like they don't have time for me, but they are putting out, they are putting out the information that I can consume. And that's how I get mentorship. And I'm getting the best mentorship versus like paying a, a, a business coach to, to coach me for $200 an hour who's never yeah. built a, an eight figure business. And so like, right. what is the point of that? Yeah. Couldn't agree more. We we've talked to a lot of business coaches over time and then we, you know, we open up the hood and we're like, yeah, yeah I don't know, man. Like you're telling us how to build our business, but we've done more revenue than you've ever done. <laughs> it's just yeah. Like, the it's reality just, is, is like yeah. the successful people who have built eight, nine figure businesses, they don't give a damn about coaching for $500 or a thousand dollars or $10,000 an hour. They're already rich. And so it's like to, to get this information, you kind of have to go seek it out. And a lot of times it's already there. You just need to like consume it. That's huge. Um, So what are some ways that you keep yourself accountable? So you have these, you have these five years, five year goals. Is that just something built into the grit throughout the years of, of building this, these businesses, or is there a certain way that you kind of hold yourself accountable to those five-year goals? It's strange. You know, I have like massive ambition all the time, but I'm also super lazy. And so it's like, it's hard. And so what I do is what's helped me like stay accountable in almost every aspect of my life is little trip wires. And so for me, like fitness is a big part of my life, but I hate getting up at five o'clock in the morning and, Mm -hmm. and working out. And so I will make a commitment to a friend or, or uh, somebody else who's doing kind of the same thing to be a certain place or, or like, I'll, like on class pass, I'll do like a Barry's boot camp or something. And like mm-hmm. on class pass, if you don't show up for a class, they charge you 20 bucks to your credit card oh. and it's really screwed up, but it's like, it's, it's how their model works. And so I know like if I don't get up at 6am and like be at title boxing, I'm going to get dinged for $20. So it's like a little tripwire to hold me accountable to do the stuff I need to do. I also do that in business. And one way that I do it mm-hmm. is, is that I will, I will go first off that I learned one thing. It's, it's, it's better off to like hire the best for like an hour a week than hire mm-hmm. somebody who sucks for 40 hours a week. Um, and, and so it's like the best that makes like the best CPA, the best SEO, uh, tactician, the best, uh, CFO, the best legal person, the best marketer, the best content creator, it's much better to hire them for like whatever they make a hundred dollars, $500 an hour for like five hours a month than hire somebody who like just graduated school or never really done anything like for 40 hours a week for, 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 you know, $500 or a thousand dollars a week or whatever. So that's one thing I learned. And so that, so then, so I'm paying like top dollar for top talent. And I know when I interact with them on a consistent basis, I got to have my game together. And so that means like, I've got to 
have like all the ducks in a row that they need to execute what they're doing. And so like just that little tripwire is like, okay, uh, on Monday morning, I've got a call with my, with my head of PR and this lady makes $350 an hour. I better damn well make sure that, you know, somebody on the team has done a hundred pitches Absolutely. and, and, and what the feedback is on that. So like these little tripwires to hold myself accountable as a leader, you know, as, as somebody who's like guiding all of this team and like executing, it's something that works for me and the, like this rinse and repeat, do it over and over again. Wow. Brian. I love that analogy, Tripwire. Yes. That's uh, thank you for sharing that. That's I very really, cool. I really think our audience is going to love that. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'm going to apply that to my own life. That's like Tripwires. Yeah. There's always awesome, Brian. Yeah. So we are, you know, we, we all struggle with this stuff. We all struggle yeah, with discipline. And so a Tripwire can help be that forcing function that calls you to do what you got to do. And it works for me. I Beautiful. love it. So, Brian, as we wrap it up, what's kind of one last thing that um, you hope that you're aspiring others to learn from your message? You know, if you're listening to this and you're not in business, uh, get in the game uh, because only when you're in the game can you win. And so, like, uh, being building a business, being part of a business can be the thing that is your vehicle to make something of your life. You know, you, how much we got a limited amount of time here. You know, the first 20 years really don't matter. The last 20 years really don't matter. So we really only have like 20, 30 or 40 years that matter. Mm -hmm. And that's if we get lucky and live a long life. And so really take inventory of that and, and look at a business as the vehicle that if you really pour your soul into it, you can make something matter of your life. You can create purpose in your life. You can live an interesting life. That's yep. what 20 years of business has taught me is that if I didn't have that, I probably would have lived a pretty dull, meaningless life. But the yep. business yep. is the thing that gave me that purpose. So that's what I would I would leave yep. leave your audience with. Absolutely. Couldn't agree that. more. It just takes oh, that first God. step. Fire it up, flip, You know, I flip love the, it. the step and stone, just get moving. Mm -hmm. It's like it's the only way that you're going to start learning. Amazing. Fail and fail fast. Exactly. I fail agree. Fast. Thanks, Brian. If people wanted to kind of follow you, learn more about your message and kind of and in, in, in who you are, where could they find you? Yeah. So anybody listening to this doesn't want to waste time cutting your grass, just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. Uh, anybody wants to reach out to me, I've been hanging out on LinkedIn a lot lately. Just shoot me a connection on there. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian. Great. We appreciate your time, man. And hopefully we'll have you on um, another time. Yes. Hey, we'll hey, thanks for having me on, Kyle and Eli. I really appreciate it, guys. Right. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Biz Bros Podcast. That was another ep ep epic episode of the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please follow us, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, type in Biz Bros, and subscribe to anywhere that you can hear our podcast. We'll see you soon. See you guys next time.